Hello, this is Lafayette Faust, creator of the Nevermore Hollows podcast. Thank you for making the show a success. Please take a moment to subscribe, give five stars, comment, and share the show with your friends. It's the best way to help us grow and to be able to continue to provide quality horror content. Also, please support our new art director, Chris Madman Goins, at Black Sheep Studios TN on Instagram. He has some amazing Nevermore Hollows art for sale, signed by the both of us, as well as many other original pieces I think you're going to love. Now, for you horror hounds who like to have a good laugh, I invite you to check out my other podcast. It's called The Three Uncool Cats. In it, my two friends and I sit in a basement and discuss music, movies, and whatever else comes into our warped minds. I would really appreciate it if you would give it a listen. Now, with that out of the way, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. Hello, and welcome back to Nevermore, where I tell the stories that don't want to be told, the stories that want to stay hidden in the dark. But I expose them, because here in Nevermore, every story ultimately has this theme, that there is evil in this world, and it will manifest itself in any way it can in its effort to destroy good people. And that good people must choose to stand up and fight, or suffer death, or something worse than death. Tonight, our story begins in the Pink Flamingos trailer park and ends at Winona's Waffle Hut. These two locations are where some of the deadliest and most profoundly odd things happen in Nevermore. And you'll be introduced to four folks who were never taught the lesson that you shouldn't play with dead things. They are the three Brousseau sisters and Granny Dingo. They live in the trailer park, practicing a very dangerous type of witchcraft that went awry last Halloween night. It began with them playing with the dead and ended with them leaving a trail of death and destruction in their wake. Maybe the good book is correct when it tells us that we shouldn't suffer a witch to live. Or, in this case, four not-so-smart witches, neither with a moral compass to speak of. Either way, the lesson is clear. We should never dabble in the dark arts. It always leads to destruction in this life and judgment in the next. With this idea squirming around in your mind, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. The Pink Flamingos trailer park sat five miles outside the town of Nevermore, Georgia. For as long as anyone can remember, 
The park, the town, and the surrounding countryside had been plagued with unexplainable disappearances, disturbing deaths, and sightings of odd beasts that some swore were ghosts and demons. The park was opened in the middle of the last century during the space race with Russia. It consisted of over a hundred trailers, though it seemed to those who paid close attention that some trailers seemed to pop into and out of existence at random times. They were laid out in a neat grid of lanes named with a nod toward the space age, such as Gemini Lane and Freedom 7 Circle. At the entrance to the park stood a tall sign that looked as if it were borrowed from a gaudy mid-century motel. It sported two giant flamingos and a single palm tree. The flamingos were outlined in bright pink neon tubing, and the tree was outlined in teal. The name of the park was written in cursive and was outlined in the same pink neon as the flamingos. At night, when the sign was ablaze, some of the letters burned brighter than the others. If you read only those letters, the sign would read, In Flames Trailer Park. And most of the folks who lived there would tell you that the phrase perfectly described the park. The park residents were social outcasts, some because they were forced to be, and others by choice. There were women hiding from abusive spouses. There were parents who cried themselves to sleep at night, wondering how they would feed their kids come the morning. There were men with hard eyes and dangerous strides. And there were a great many folks who were just off. The more grounded residents called them the strange folks. Roxy, Kitty, and Big Mama were three such folks. They were witches. They were gaining power in their dark arts. But they had the combined IQ of a weed-smoking carny with a fifth-grade education. They had cast many a spell that had gone awry because they were either fighting with each other or had mispronounced an important word during their incantations. Ivan Ivanovich, the park's handyman, had more than once cleaned up the aftermath of one of their disastrous spells. It frustrated him that three women who couldn't read or speak English with any degree of accuracy would even try to cast spells from ancient Latin or Babylonian texts. They were sisters, having the same mother but each having a different father, though they all claimed the same surname, which was Brousseau. Mabel, their mother, had been a promiscuous woman, ultimately marrying nine different men during her 72 years of life. Each husband had been wealthy, and she had had a child by each. Then, eight of the husbands died, all by heart attack, leaving her their fortunes. Being suspicious that a woman would lose eight husbands to myocardial infarctions, the townsfolk began to talk secretly referring to her as Nevermore's most successful serial killer. Her ninth husband survived a gunshot to the thigh, administered by Mabel one hot summer afternoon as he was sitting on their porch enjoying a Pabst Blue Ribbon. He disappeared from the emergency room later that night after assuring the sheriff that it had all been an unfortunate accident while Mabel had been cleaning her first husband's forty-five caliber pistol. 
not surprisingly, before disappearing, he signed over the rights to his successful hardware store located on Main Street in Nevermore. He was never seen or heard from again. Mabel never shared her fortune with any of her children. In fact, on the day of her death, when the girls were in their early teens, all the money in her bank account was mysteriously transferred to an offshore account and had been untraceable by any of her kids. The girls dropped out of school and bumped around different dead-end jobs. By the time Big Mama, the oldest, turned 20, they had ended up as poor white trash living in the trailer park. And that's where they had discovered witchcraft. They had moved into the pink and white trailer out on the eastern end of the park. Their neighbor was an old hag named Granny Dingo. She was stooped, and the wrinkles on her face were so deep it seemed as if someone had used a screwdriver to carve them. She wore her gray hair pulled up into a bun, held in place with a withered chicken claw. She earned her name as Granny Dingo because she had a near-feral dingo named Manson that followed her everywhere. One sticky night, not long after the sisters move in, they got drunk on boxed wine and got into a loud fight over Ricky Duggan. Roxy claimed Ricky was hers because he had told her he loved her when they had made out in his Dodge Ram while at the drive-in. Kitty claimed Ricky for herself, using the fact that they had spent a passionate night together in the back of his truck out in Farmer Kane's field. Big Mama was sick of their screaming and started yelling at them to shut the hell up before she stabbed them both to death. Their disagreement escalated into a hair-pulling, face-clawing, banshee-wailing brawl. Plates were thrown, punches were landed, and Big Mama used her walking stick to whack Kitty in the back of the head. That's when the front door flew open, crashing against the rotting banister attached to the wooden steps leading up to the trailer. The sisters stopped their screeching and smacking, and turned to see Granny Dingo hovering in the doorway, her feet three inches above the step. She held her gnarled walking stick in her right hand. Manson stood in the overgrown yard behind her, head low, eyes eerily glowing with a feral shine, drool dripping from his sharp teeth onto the grass. The sisters were shocked into speechlessness. They had lived around Nevermore their whole lives, had caught glimpses of unexplainable beasts, had heard the stories of supernatural occurrences, but had never expected to see an old lady magically hovering in their doorway. Finally, Big Mama, the sister's self-appointed leader, said, What the hell? Granny Dingo held up her hand. Clearly a command to shut up. She floated into the trailer, looked over her shoulder, and said in a withered voice, Watch. Manson's eyes narrowed as he seemed to nod. He turned and stood guard, his feral eyes scanning for any threat. Then Granny Dingo waved her hand, and the door slammed shut. Kitty was by nature a nervous woman. Her eyes darted from Granny Dingo to her sisters. 
With anxious hands, she straightened her cat-eye glasses. You, you just can't come in here whenever you want. Granny Dingo looked at Kitty. Though her face seemed as ancient as Tutankhamun's mummy, her eyes were young and seemed to know dark secrets. I can do what I want, she croaked. Especially when you stupid girls won't stop your incessant caterwauling. You've disturbed half the trailer park. I live here because it's quiet. At least it was until you showed up. I want peace. You can't tell us what to do, you crazy old bitch, Roxy said. She was the mouthiest of the sisters. You just float your wrinkled old ass back out of the trailer and take your scary-ass dog with you. Granny Dingo frowned. You girls need something to keep yourselves occupied. I can either teach you something, give you certain knowledge and skills that will hopefully empower you, or I can kill you. Either way, starting now, I want peace. Roxy and Kitty looked at Big Mama, seeking her guidance. Big Mama, being marginally smarter than her two sisters, took in the fact that the old woman was hovering in front of them, had used magic to open and close the door, and had a special bond with her mangy dog. You is a witch, ain't you? Granny Dingo grimaced. I don't prefer that word, but I guess that's close enough to the truth. Big Mama considered the old woman's response. Well, we don't want to be dead, so I guess we will just hear what you got to say about teaching us something. Why are you willing to do that? A long time ago, in another place, I used to be young and hot-headed, Granny Dingo said. But someone taught me the old ways, the dark ways. And I was able to pull myself up out of that fog of mind and be able to no longer be a slave to my emotions. I'm willing to teach you girls in the hopes that you can overcome yourselves. What Granny Dingo said caused Kitty to be even more anxious. It made Roxy angrier because how dare this old bitch tell her that she can't control her emotions. Big Mama wasn't sure she wanted to put forth the effort to learn any special knowledge. She was always tired and sad and thought that maybe death would be a release. What, what, what do you think? Kitty said to Big Mama. Big Mama looked at her sisters and had a sudden idea. She knew she and her sisters weren't the smartest girls to ever been born. Mama Mabel never cared much about schooling and she had left them flat broke when she died, leaving them to fend for themselves in a hard world. Maybe the knowledge this old witch wanted to teach them would not only make them smarter, but would also help them get rich. And at the end of the day, wasn't that all that mattered? All right, she said. I believe we'd be willing to see what you can show us. 
For the next year, Granny Dingo guided the sisters into the dark arts. While they weren't the smartest witches to ever have invoked a spell, their instincts basically were good, and Granny Dingo was patient. It was now just after four o'clock on Halloween, and the sisters stood at the stove in the kitchen, watching a large black cast-iron pot as its contents began to boil. Are you sure we have the right ingredients? Kitty asked. This is our first Halloween spell, and Granny Dingo says we need to get it right before she teaches us anything else. You're the one holding the damn book, Roxy said. She was tense, as always, but her eyes shone with excitement. If we mess it up, it's going to be your fault. Big Mama used a branch from a holly tree to stir the pot. It's been about five minutes since we put that powdered bone of a dead man in. What's next? Kitty flipped the yellowed page in the ancient book she was holding and carefully read the ingredients of the spell they were attempting to cast. Um, it says we need to add the egg sack of a black widow next. Make sure you squeeze it first to get them babies to crawl out. They were attempting to create a homunculus, which was a creature made of mud in the shape of a man used to house disembodied spirits. Though Granny Dingo had been diligently working with them to properly pronounce spells in various languages, the sisters could not, no matter how hard they tried, say homunculus. So, they had decided just to call it Mudman. When do we put the potion on the Mudman? Roxy asked. She was eager to get to the next part of the spell. She glanced over her shoulder to the living room where the Mudman stood. The mud was from the banks of the Candies River, which ran along the eastern side of the park, about 200 yards inside the tree line of the forest. They had dug the mud at midnight and brought it back to the trailer. Then they put down a tarp and shaped the mud into the general form of a man, which stood seven feet tall. Ten minutes after the spiders, Kitty said. Hand me the jar. Big Mama said, pointing to the cabinet above the sink. The door had long ago fallen off, and ever since they had become witches, they had used it to display their mason jars full of various spell ingredients. Roxy grabbed a jar that held a large black widow and her silky egg sack. She twisted off the lid, reached inside, and gingerly removed the sticky sack. She held it over the boiling pot and gave it a squeeze. It popped open, and hundreds of baby spiders poured out, crawling on her hand and arm. She raked them off into the potion and dropped the sack in after them. Big Mama stirred. Y'all need to be counting. Kitty put the book on the counter and checked her phone, marking the time. After ten minutes had passed, she said, oh, Okay, it's time. Big Mama removed the pot from the stove and set it on the small formica table. She snatched three paintbrushes that had been laid out, keeping one for herself and handing one each to her sisters. Now, y'all know you just gotta brush the potion on the mud man. Once we get him completely covered, I'll read the spell and see if we can make him come alive. But I wanted to say the spell... Roxy said, using an orange bick to light the camel cigarette she'd just put between her lips. 
You said I could do the next one after we conjured up that spirit the other night. You may be the meanest one of us, Roxy, Big Mama said, but you ain't the brightest. We ain't never tried to bring something to life. Granny Dingo says a spell like this could conjure up a mess of problems if we ain't careful. Roxy scrunched her nose and squinted her eyes. She blew a cloud of smoke and said, Then I'm done. I quit. I ain't going to help you two bitches because I never get to do anything. But this is the only time we can work this spell, Kitty said. Granny Dingo says to conjure up a mud man, you have to use mud from a river where someone died by drowning. And it has to be on Halloween before the sun sets. We're running out of time. If you quit, then we ain't going to be able to work the spell in time. Screw you, Roxy said. She took another long draw on the camel. And the jacked up horse you rode in on. If I can't say the spell, I ain't going to do nothing else. Big Mama reared back and slapped Roxy across the face with her paintbrush, knocking the cigarette out of her mouth, sending tiny sparks flying. Use the biggest bitch I ever saw, and use a big-ass baby. Go ahead, then. You can say the spell, but you better not mess it up. Now, take the brush and start putting the potion on the mud man. When he's covered, I'll let you say the damn spell. Roxy's anger flared when Big Mama slapped the cigarette from her mouth. Camels were expensive, and they were always broke. But knowing she was going to be able to work the magic stopped her from smacking Big Mama right in her fat mouth. She snatched her cigarette from the floor, stuck it in the corner of her mouth, and grabbed the brush. It took the three of them fifteen minutes to completely coat the mud man with the potion. When they were finished, they dropped the brushes onto the table, and Roxy picked up the ancient book of spells. You ready? Big Mama asked. Yes, Roxy said, after finding the page on how to make a mud man. Kitty was excited, but she fidgeted, straightening her bra, which had slipped off one shoulder, and then brushing a strand of blonde hair from her face. Please, be careful. Make sure you say the words right. Roxy glared at Kitty, then turned her attention back to the book. Okay, here goes. She began reading the incantation, which was in Creole. Granny Dingo had chosen this spell specifically for the sisters. It was tricky, but she felt they would be more able to pronounce the swampy patois, and Roxy did great until reaching the third word in the final sentence. She got to the word monche, which was Creole for man. She pronounced it munchy which, unfortunately, changed the result of the spell. When she finished the last word of the last sentence, she waved her hands about the mud man in a flourish and said, Wake! Nothing happened. You done went and messed it up, Big Mama said. I known better and to let you do it. Now we ain't gonna have enough time to start over. It's already getting dusk out. Are you sure? Kitty asked. I think I just saw something in its face move. Big Mama leaned in to more closely scrutinize Mudman's face. You probably just seeing a worm or something. We raked up all kinds of critters when we got the mud from the river. Might even be a snake stuck in there. 
Maybe you shouldn't get so close, Kitty warned. Big Mama leaned closer. She was about a foot away when the mud man jerked forward, then took an unsteady step back, nearly fell, then steadied itself. The sisters jumped back and saw that the mud was shaping itself into a more detailed form. Massive muscles bulged from the arms and legs. Long, powerful fingers ended in sharp claws made of the bones of dead animals. One soggy eye bubbled up from deep within the face, and it opened its muddy maw to reveal a row of razor-sharp teeth made of fishbone and bits of broken glass from bottles that had found their way into the river. We got to call it by name to control it, Big Mama said. She turned to Roxy. Do it! Roxy pointed her finger at the creature and said, We name you Mudman. You belong to us. Mudman opened its mouth and issued a deep, thick gurgle. It used its right arm and knocked the cast iron pot off the formica table. It splattered the hot potion onto the floor. Then it rushed Roxy. Big Mama grabbed her hickory walking stick and hit Mudman on the back of his head. Mudman turned and shoved Big Mama onto the table, snapping it in half as she fell to the floor. Then, with an angry gurgling, Mudman crashed through the front door and out into the yard. It was twilight, and in the town of Nevermore, along with countless cities across America, children were out in their costumes, wandering from house to house, giving the residents the choice of staving off tricks for pieces of candy, but not in the Pink Flamingo's trailer park. The kids who lived here were either trick-or-treating in town or are off doing things that would likely end in their arrest. They did not celebrate the holiday in the trailer park because it was too dangerous to do so. There were, however, two boys riding their rusty bikes down the street just as Mudman crashed through the door and onto the overgrown lot. What the heck is that? Stevie Muse asked, pulling to a stop three lots down. Rory Boudreau stopped beside him, and his eyes shot wide. That's a homunculus. Rory and Stevie were best friends. They were both 12 years old, and their mothers worked third shift at Winona's Waffle Hut, one of the stranger places in Nevermore, where the craziest of the crazy happened on a regular basis. Stevie had lived in the park for years, and had kept his distance from the other kids, partly because he struggled to make friends, partly because other kids in the trailer park weren't the friend type. But when Rory had moved into the trailer behind them back in the spring, they had become as close as brothers. The summer had been an eventful one, where they had nearly been killed by a ghost of Stan Satan Delfino, Nevermore's most notorious serial killer, who used to live in Trailer 66. They had also helped find a man wandering around with a demon's head in a large mason jar. So, when they saw the giant monster made of what appeared to be mud, they weren't surprised only cautiously curious. Really? Stevie asked. He was a fan of horror comics, so he knew what a homunculus was. He had just never seen one. It's massive! Up until moving to Nevermore, Rory lived in New Orleans. 
a city with a rich history of the occult. He had seen a homunculus one other time, back when he was nine. His aunt had been cheated on by her boyfriend. She conjured a homunculus to find the cheating bastard and teach him a lesson. The boyfriend had ended up in the hospital with a broken arm and a fractured skull, and Rory had come away with the knowledge that there is a spiritual realm, and it has a dark side. And it looked like it be a bit pissed, Rory said. If it be conjured correctly, we gonna be safe. If it not be, it could get hairy. Just then, Ivan Ivanovich, the custodian, rounded the corner in the pink and white golf cart that belonged to the park. He claimed to be 60, but looked a lean 50. He wore his hair in a military high and tight. He had saved the boys from their near-death experience in Trailer 66 and had helped them hide the jar containing the demon's head. So, he understood that the park was a place filled with the strange and paranormal. He grimaced when he saw the homunculus and punched the accelerator. He had modified the cart, putting a souped-up gas engine in place of the batteries that used to power it, and it shot toward the boys. He swerved in front of them and hit the brakes, putting the cart between them and the monster. He glanced at the boys and saw that they were okay. That what I think it is. Rory nodded. It's a homunculus, Stevie said. I don't think anybody be in control of it, Rory said, and it looked mad. Ivan noted the pink and white trailer. Those damn witches. They aren't smart enough to attempt something like this. Rory and Stevie turned to Ivan and said in unison, Witches? Ivan nodded. Yes, witches. What do we do? Stevie asked. We kill it. Ivan said. How do we do that? Rory asked. I'm not sure, Ivan said. I've heard stories about these creatures, but never how to kill one. We better figure something out soon, Stevie said. There was a gurgling roar and a crash as the homunculus bounded across the lot and slammed its fist down onto the rusted-out washing machine that was sitting in a high patch of brown grass. The beast ripped the lid off and threw it into the street, then set about beating and kicking the appliance as if it were its greatest enemy. Ivan glanced around to see if there were other residents milling about, watching the scene unfold. There were none, but he could see some peeking through their windows and doors. That was a good thing. They were less likely to become victims. He noted that full twilight was up on them, and he needed to do something before the beast ran off into the countryside, or worse, into town. As his mind raced for a solution, he heard a shriek and a loud moaning behind him. He turned and saw that a horde of creatures had just shuffled out of the forest. They were all covered in thick mud, but as they shuffled closer, he was able to make out some details. One of the beasts was a giant alligator. Its arms had morphed into something more human than reptile, with huge biceps and five-fingered hands ending in sharp claws. And it walked upright on powerful legs, dragging its mud-caked tail behind. 
there were three human-shaped monsters in various states of decay that shuffled toward them. <coughs> Ivan realized that they must be the bodies of people who had either drowned in the river or who had been killed and dumped there. One was freshly dead. The other two were more decayed, with wet, muddy rags hanging off their frames. There was even a slime-covered bear sporting a large head with an extra snout full of large teeth on the side of its head. Shit, Ivan said. He turned his attention back to the homunculus. It was still raging at the washing machine. I think I know what happened. Rory and Stevie kept glancing wide-eyed between the homunculus and the horde of mud-covered beasts making their way from the forest. Tell us, Stevie said. I bet they used the mud from the river that runs through this part of the forest, Ivan explained. And I bet those idiot sisters jacked up the spell. Instead of bewitching only the mud they gathered, they must have accidentally bewitched the section of the river they took it from. Rory nodded his agreement. Yeah, my grandmama told me stories about that kind of thing happening back when we lived in New Orleans. The spell is resurrecting and distorting the dead things laying in that part of the river's mud. Ivan grimaced. Get in, he said. The boys did not hesitate. They dropped their bikes and climbed into the golf cart. Stevie sat beside Ivan and Rory climbed into the backward-facing rear seat. What are we going to do? Stevie asked. Until we figure out how to kill these things, we're going to try and lead them away from the park, Ivan said. He turned to Rory. You said your grandmama told you stories. Did she ever tell you how to kill these things? Rory recalled the hundreds of stories his grandmama used to tell him about their Creole beliefs. After a heartbeat, he nodded, remembering. She told me you killed these things by getting the witch to recall the spell. If she won't, then you have to kill the witch. Ivan knew they were running out of time. He figured the sisters could be convinced to recall their spell because they didn't want to call this kind of attention to themselves. But he didn't know if they were even still alive, considering that the beast had come from inside their trailer. He couldn't attempt to gain entrance to find out because that would mean leaving the boys exposed to the homunculus and the monsters shambling up behind them. Just then, the sisters ran out of the trailer. Kitty followed Roxy down the stairs, and Big Mama was the last to hobble out due to her weight and bad knees. You need to recall the spell, Ivan yelled. You can kiss my ass, Roxy replied. You don't get to tell me what to do. Big Mama smacked the back of Roxy's head. You damn fool, you done caused this here mess. We got to fix it. We got to stop the mud man. But how? Kitty said. Her eyes were wide with worry. Then she turned her attention to the horde of muddy monsters shuffling toward them. Oh my, what have we done? Hell if I know, Big Mama said. Mud man finished beating the washing machine. He turned toward the sisters and waved his massive fists in rage. He charged at them, grabbed Roxy, and threw her to the ground. She hit her head on a broken yard gnome, knocking her out cold. From the corner of the trailer, 
someone called out in a loud, commanding voice, Cease! The homunculus and the muddy horde froze in their tracks, unable to move. Big Mama, Roxy, Ivan, and the boys all looked to see Granny Dingo float around the trailer, followed by Manson. Granny Dingo, Kitty said. She was shaking. She pushed her glasses further up her nose. We're sorry. Help us. There is no help for you girls, Granny Dingo said, disgust on her face. And the only one who can stop this spell is the one who cast it. Big Mama looked down at Roxy. Well, that's going to be a big-ass problem. Roxy was the one who made Mudman, and she done gone and got herself knocked out. Granny Dingo shook her head, clearly frustrated. My cease spell will only last a few minutes. We need to get her awake and coherent. Otherwise, these beasts will destroy everything they see. Mudman and the horde stood like grotesque statuary. Ivan and the boys and Kitty and Big Mama looked at Granny Dingo, who considered her next move. Finally, she said to the sisters, Pick her up. Take her back into the trailer. You two idiots get her awake as fast as you can. She looked to Ivan and the boys. I got it, Ivan said. We'll try to lead Mudman and the others away. Granny Dingo nodded. The only way to do that is for me to mark you, so they have to follow you. It will be dangerous, but as long as you stay ahead of them, they will chase you and not harm anyone else. Mark only me, Ivan said, not the boys. Granny Dingo nodded, then recited what sounded like a poem in an arcane language. When she finished, she said, It's done, but I can't guarantee how long the mark will hold. Now go! The sea spell is wearing off, but beware. These monsters might be faster now that they have their balance. If you can lead them to the field that belongs to Farmer Kane, I'll be along with the sister once we revive her. Hold on. Ivan said to the boys. He shifted the cart into gear and began to slowly drive down the lane, intending to lead Mudman and the horde out of the park to the field located a couple miles down the road. Granny Dingo held up her stick and said, Release. Immediately, Mudman gave that gurgling roar, turned, and then ran directly toward the cart. The horde snapped to and lunged forward, much faster than expected. Yikes! Stevie said. Rory was facing the horde as the slimy beasts ran at them. Go! 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 Ivan switched on the cart's headlights. He punched the accelerator and the cart jolted forward, nearly causing Rory to fall off the back. He grabbed the support bar holding up the cart's roof and pulled himself back onto the seat. Ivan sped down the lane, Mudman and the horde behind him. The park had no street lights. Some of the residents had strung up white and multicolored Christmas lights on their lots and used them year-round. To the residents who were peeking out their windows, it was an odd sight to see the pink and white golf cart speeding down the festively lit lane with a horde of muck-covered beasts giving chase. 
Ivan turned onto Apollo Lane, which led to the entrance of the park. Mudman tried to cut across the lot to their left to gain some ground on them. Two chihuahuas ran from under the trailer, barking as if they were pit bulls, distracting Mudman and slowing him down. The two-faced bear bounded over and scooped up one of the dogs and shoved it into its maw. The dog squealed in its death throes. The other mutt, smelling the blood of its kin, turned and ran back under the trailer, its tail between its legs. Ivan zipped past the office and toward the neon sign just as it switched on, casting the road before them in a pink and teal glow. He turned onto the Pothold County Road that would lead them to Farmer Kane's Field. The road would eventually lead to the town limits of Nevermore. Talk to me, Rory, Ivan said. They be right behind us, Rory replied. Did you see that bear eat Miss Mildred's chihuahua? Stevie asked. Yeah, Rory said. It wasn't taco, was it? Stevie asked. Nah, Rory said. It was Goliath. Ivan glanced at Stevie. Goliath? Yeah, Stevie said. Miss Mildred's a crazy old bat. Ivan swerved around a pothole, causing Rory to grip the support bar tighter. The two-faced bear was surprisingly fast. It lunged forward, both mouths snapping at Rory, missing him by inches. Rory yelled and pulled his feet up onto the seat. Rory could see that the three dead people seemed to be teenaged girls. One of them tripped. An alligator man stumbled over it, fell, and rolled into the ditch. They both scrambled up and resumed their chase. Ivan sped around a curve and said, Crap. Stevie was in the front seat beside Ivan, but was looking back at the horde as it ran after them. He turned to see a man stumbling along the road. The cart's headlights shone on him, making him squint. Uh-oh, is that Mr. Mario? Yes, Ivan said, and he looks three sheets to the wind. Mario Beck was the town drunk. He was fifty, had a spray of white hair on his head, and loved hooch. Any kind of hooch. If it kept him drunk enough that he didn't have to deal with work, his shrew of a wife, or life in general... He was a happy man. He called it being pickled and tickled because he was, in all respects, a happy drunk. While Hooch made some men aggressive and angry, it made Mario laugh. He squinted and threw up a hand to shield the light from his eyes. Easy, partner, he slurred. Where's the fire? Ivan glanced back to see how close the groaning, growling, moaning horde was. They were close. But he had gained enough ground that he might be able to slow down long enough to shove Mario onto the back seat beside Rory.